This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. In this pursuit of being healthy, wealthy, and wise, I'm going to focus today on wealth. So I was reading a blog about Kenny G. Actually, it was about money and dividends and stocks. But the writer was talking about Kenny G, the jazz saxophonist, the, the guy with the curly long hair, you know, with the jazz. He'd play the saxophone to the side. And it's, I think it's like a soprano sax. Well, did you know that Kenny G is a very wealthy man? Now, you probably say, of course he's a wealthy man, Karen. He sold 75 million records worldwide. Of course he's wealthy. No, no, no. His wealth comes from the stock market. In particular, one stock, Starbucks. So the story goes, Kenny G's uncle knew Howard Schultz. They were friends. And Howard Schultz at the time had these coffee shops in Seattle everyone was raving about. And his uncle was one of the first investors in what, we now know as Starbucks. So he told his nephew, Kenny G, about Howard Schultz. He introduced him to him. And in a CNBC interview, Kenny G talks about meeting Howard Schultz and how impressed he was. He was like the guy that was passionate and he really believed in the vision that he had. And so Kenny G decided to buy stock in this new burgeoning company called Starbucks. This was back in 1988. Now, if Kenny G put $10,000 into Starbucks in 1998, and I imagine he put more than $10,000 into Starbucks in 1998, if he just put $10,000, which is what I've asked you to save the very first year we talked about saving on the Karen Hunter Show, that investment in Starbucks today would be worth, drum roll, $27 million, actually more than $27 million. So... Back in uh, 2011 at an annual shareholders meeting, Howard Schultz said that Kenny G had never sold a share. So not only did Kenny G invest heavily in Starbucks at its inception, he held on to that stock. In 2014, Kenny G said that uh, he keeps a fair amount of his original shares in Starbucks. He's kept a fair amount. I think he had to sell some in a divorce to to pay his wife, uh, his ex-wife now. Uh, But he said, and he watches the stock price every day. Uh, In an interview, he also said that he invested back in the day in United when it was $39 a share, and then it hit $74 a share. So this guy is very smart as it relates to the stock market. And by investing in Starbucks early and holding on to the stock, Kenny G was able to benefit from the immense growth of the Seattle-based company. And over the years, compound over the years, he has had a 30% return. 30s, 3-0. Kenny G has made more money investing in that particular stock than he has selling all of his albums, 75 million worldwide. Now, I'm not pushing for anyone to just run into the stock market. I'm not doing that, and I never would, uh, especially if you don't know what you're doing. But today I want to give you two things to think about. First is know what you're investing in and, and, and be passionate about it. And passion to me is not just, oh, I like these Nikes, but like knowing everything about Nike and how they make their money and what the future is of their money. You should be on the Wall Street Journal every day or on the spread on the uh, balance sheets of the companies that you want to invest in and, and have a watch list and watch the stock prices and watch how their dividends are flowing. You should be as invested in that as you are 
in a television show or as you are in clicking on the shade room or whatever people do these days because this is the thing that's going to make you wealthy over time. Now, Kenny G is just an example of somebody that I hadn't heard about in the last 20 years, but clearly he doesn't need us to hear about him. <laughs> like, what has Kenny G been up to? Making money while he was at home asleep? And that's what I want to do. So I'm going to share that with you. Um, so he had the opportunity, of, of course, to meet the founder, Howard Schultz. He had an opportunity to sit with him and talk with him and kind of understand his vision, which made it a lot easier for him to invest in his company. And many of us will never have an opportunity to sit down and talk with the person that's running the company we're going to invest in. But what we have an advantage, those of us who, you know, are spiritually inclined, is that, you know, a lot of the crazes that are happening in this country, whether we're talking about social media, Google, or whatever, we're in the middle of it. We help usher it in. So we kind of know, we have our finger on the pulse of what's going to be hot. So get in early. Don't be on the sidelines. Uh, if you see a line outside the door for an iPhone, because I actually stood in line. I remember the first iPhone, and it was like 600 and something dollars. Do you remember that? And I couldn't imagine paying 600 and something dollars for a phone or standing in line to buy it. But yet, there I was. There I was at the Millennium Mall, Millennium Mall in Orlando, Florida, standing in line, and I heard that the lines in New York were even longer. That should have been my cue to invest in Apple, even though it was really expensive. And what I said to myself at the time, I'm not spending more than $100 for a share of stock. I look at this today. Had I done that? Psh, what? So that's the number one thing to consider. The second thing to consider is compounding. We talk about compounding interest a lot and compounding time, sitting in the soil, allowing things to take root, letting things mature and grow. Kenny G did that. He held on to this stock because Understanding the vision of where Starbucks was going to go, he knew that this was a long game. He also wasn't in the game for the growth of the stock. He was a big dividend uh, purchaser of the stock. That was his game, and that's my game too. I love playing the dividend game because you get to ride the ebbs and flows of the stock market because it invariably goes up and down, and so I'm not so anxious about if the stock market crashes and it goes down a 1,000 points one day and goes up. I'm not moved by that. I'm moved by the dividends of, of each company that I'm investing in and whether those are going up and down. And if there's a steady climb, steady consistency in the way in which my companies that I invest in are paying out, I know those are companies that I can stick with for a period of time. But I also remind myself that sometimes you can stay in something too long, but that's not most of our problems. Most of our problems are being um, impulsive and being fearful and having anxiety. And so we may get in as many people got in on Bitcoin when it was at its top and then it crashed. And then you're like, oh, this is trash. And it probably was trash, which is why I only own $25 in Bitcoin. Thank you, Tiffany and Alan from Momentum Advisors, because they actually gave me $25 worth on Christmas. And then I bought another $25 sort of Ethereum so I could watch to see how they were going, but I didn't put a large sum of my money into Bitcoin because uh, you don't hit things when everybody's talking about them. You hit them when nobody's talking about them, when you have the spidey sense that something might happen. So don't gamble your future. Do your homework. Keep st studying. Allow things to grow slow and steady. We'll win this race. Now, it's Sunday, and I promise that on Sundays I will go to the Twitter sphere and I will answer a question or two. So I'm going to answer a question right now. 
So the question comes from Dr. Omakongo Dabinga, who's actually part of our family. He contributes to the Hub uh, from time to time, writing about uh, issues regarding Africa. Uh, he says, hi, at Karen Hunter. Really enjoy your hashtag podcast. And by the way, if you want to ask me a question in the future, hashtag podcast so I can find your question. At me, at Karen Hunter, hashtag podcast, ask your question. All right. He said, I'm really enjoying your podcast and your other podcast hosts. Uh, you've been talking about farmers this week. What do you think we need to do to get younger African-Americans to continue the legacy of black farmers, given that the average black farmer age is 62? Whew. Um, that question is going to require a lot more research on my part. I have no idea um, how to get young people involved in farming. I do think that a lot of young people are open to it. I think a lot of young people today, and I've said this before on my show, that the millennials and the younger people, the Parkland age group uh, people are going to save this country because they give zero Fs and they, they have a lot of energy and they seem to have a lot more character <laughs> than, than the uh, aged Americans. Um, but I think all we need to do is give them the blueprint for what that looks like and give them the opportunities. I, I was just talking about a football player who left the NFL I think there are like a couple of them. One left to become uh, a scientist, I think, at MIT, um, but two have left to become farmers or gotten into the farming space, and they're in their 20s. So I think that all we need to do is keep telling them that this is a good thing to do and give them the receipts so that they can follow the blueprint. And if you have young people in your family and you have land, tell them the history. You know, I, I'm doing a great deal of this on my radio show on Sirius XM, uh, but you have a closer relationship with the people in your family. Let that be a conversation that's had. Um, I had a nice, interesting conversation with Drew McCaskill, formerly of Nielsen, and he said, you know, as black people, we tend to not share a lot. You know, we, we tend to, you know, have this grown folk business mentality, and we don't give the young people in our family, our kids, the actual blueprint. We don't talk to them about our money. We don't talk to them about our failings. We don't talk to them about the things that, the pitfalls and, and the successes. We, I mean, we show the successes and we talk about the successes, but we don't necessarily talk about the road that it took to get there. And in many ways, there's a farming analogy. You know, we, we talk about the harvest, but we don't talk about toiling in the field. We don't talk about the, 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 the sowing of the seed. We don't talk about all of the hard work that it takes to get that seed there, picking through the weeds and picking off the weebles and picking off the, you know, the caterpillars that eat your plant. We don't talk about that. We talk about the harvest. And so as a result, I think our kids don't know the process to being successful. And a lot of them feel like, well, hey, I got an Xbox and my mother and father give me a little allowance and I just get to do whatever. I get to go to school without understanding the sacrifices that went into giving them that. So um, as a juxtaposition to what we need to do to help young people understand the legacy for black farmers, the other thing we need to do, Dr. Dabinga, is let our kids in on all of the things that we are doing. There should not be any secrets. Other cultures, I just talked this past week with a woman from China, they learn at a young age everything they need to know. Uh, this uh, Becky Wong said, Chinese kids are raised as little adults. They're raised to become adults, or was it? Drew, Drew McCaskill. I, this is all getting very blurry, but I know that that was said about the Chinese culture. I know in the Jewish culture, there's bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs at 12 and 13. That's a rite of passage into adulthood. Before the bar mitzvah and the bat mitzvah, those kids are indoctrinated into the process for success. They are. That is ingrained in them. 
from little. We don't do that in our culture, and we need to. So the global majority needs to knock it off <laughs> and start really telling kids as early, and I've talked to a lot of financial experts on my show, as early as four and five years old, teaching them about the values of money, the consequences of bad money behavior, and also giving them all of the things they need. I know they're little, and you want to shield them from reality, but you're not doing that. All, all you're doing is setting them up for failure. Uh, that's the answer to your question. I'm actually going to give it more thought, and maybe we can continue this conversation. Thank you for your question. And if you guys have any questions for me, go on Twitter, follow me at Karen Hunter, at Karen Hunter. Hashtag podcast, ask your question. On Sundays, I'm going to pick a question or two, and we're going to answer it. Until next time.